If you'll join me on the back of your bulletins or in your Bible, um, we're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 and 30. 19 through 30. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come too. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we're grateful for these words and for this time of worship, this time of prayer. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come here. Please humble us all and open our hearts up to your will for us. Jesus, that we could be more like you, that we could just have more of you in our life. Uh, we remember this morning the Knowles family and the family of the Malibu High Tennis Coach. Just ask for your mercy on them, for your presence in their lives, that you just give them peace and most of all for healing and deliverance from this. And God, we're just so grateful for Anders William and just for the gift to our community that he is. And thank you for Dan and June. Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your name. Amen. When Joel read the, uh, the passage this morning, <clears throat> it, um, I'm, I'm guessing that many of you probably have already um, lost in your mind uh, what he read or what it was about. And sometimes when we read a passage, you're like, I probably have some idea what Brian's going to talk about. And sometimes we read a passage and you're like, I just have no idea what this is going to be about. Well, <clears throat> here's what it was about. It was... It was about Paul writing about travel notes, a travel journal, a travel log. It'd be like if you're planning a trip or something and you're going to write a few notes and share it with us. At first glance, it's not all that exciting. Like, why would you write this down? Okay, you're going to take a trip um, 800 miles away. Great, have fun. I'll see you when you get back. I really don't care that much. This might be... a part of Philippians where we just quickly glance over it and we don't realize what's truly there. But it's my job to, um, to study and show you that, that, and this is almost always true, that there's so much more there in the Bible than at first glance. If you just glance over something, you often miss so much. So the passage this morning, here's one way to frame this. The passage this morning is about friendship. It's about caring for people, building healthy relationships, and friendships actually matter more than maybe we first think. Let me just share with you just a couple quotes. One from C.S. Lewis, and he says this about friendships. To the ancients, he's talking about all the way going back to 
Greek philosophers. Friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. And he talks about, you can leave it there for one second, he talks about <clears throat> the difference between um, loves. And he, he wrote a book, it's about the four different loves that the Bible talks about. And one of the loves he contrasts it with is eros love. And eros is that like beautiful, attractive, I love you because you're beautiful kind of love. And he contrasts this with phileo, with brotherly love, with friendship love. And I think it's worth it. I, this is just how I work. When I read something like this, that to the ancients, friendship, friendship was really important and the modern world ignores it, I always stop. And I'm like, okay, I need to think about this for a second. Why would somebody from a long, long time ago value this and today we kind of ignore it? We're all about eros, right? We say things like this, like sex sells, beauty sells, beauty is attractive. We're all about beauty. And Lewis is saying that you're missing something that your soul longs for and it's, we call it friendship. In fact, um, the Bible uses a variety of words. In fact, one of the words the Bible uses is the word fellowship. And I don't know what you think about. If you've been around church before or a long time, um, my memory goes to a room in a church building. When Karen and I got married in an old Presbyterian church, I feel like my memory says we went to the fellowship hall after the ceremony in the sanctuary. So fellowship doesn't do all that much for us. Um, we use the word community today, and, and that kind of brings warm feelings to some people. Um, here's another quote on friendship, though, and relationships from Drew Hunter, an author. If we remove friendship from the world, half of our joy goes right out with it. This is because friendship is the ultimate end of our existence and our highest source of happiness. Friendship with one another and with God is the supreme pleasure of life both now and forever, and no one can fully enjoy life without, without it. So as we talk this morning about friendship, I want you to think about different dimensions of friendship. Some of you might need to focus on friendship within your marriage. Maybe your, your marriage is focused on eros and then fighting. And then you have like makeup time and then eros and fighting then that's, that's, the, that's like the routine of your relationship. And I'm saying, focus for a few moments this morning on having your spouse become your friend. Maybe, you, um, maybe you've just been lacking friendship in your life and, and you just need some companionship. Maybe you need more of, of friendship in life. Then think about it that way. So, the Bible talks a lot, especially the New Testament, talks a lot and often about this concept of friendship, community, fellowship. These are all words that are synonymous. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 2, when the church was just beginning, it says that, that churches devoted themselves, that there was a commitment to friendship, a commitment to investing in one another's life. So Paul writes this letter to Philippians, just a couple of things to remind you. Paul is in jail in Rome and he's writing a letter that Epaphroditus will carry back to the believers in Philippi. His main flow of thought, <coughs> excuse me, his main flow of thought is in chapter one, verse 27, <coughs> excuse me, where he says, 
we are to live worthy of the gospel, that our lives are to be as if we are citizens of heaven, that we are called to something bigger and more beautiful and more meaningful than this world offers alone. So that is his main point. And then he's going to say, here are some warnings. There are some things, some warnings about that calling on our lives. And he says this, do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from conceit. That these things, or is it coming back again? Forever. I left Port Townsend, Washington to leave the rain, and now we're, um, we're back in the Pacific Northwest. It rains almost every day now. <clears throat> he provides some warnings for us about things that can erode friendship or can erode community. Let me just remind you what I said last week. And the warnings were about this. Selfish ambition, and here's what we said about selfish ambition. I said that if your needs are the most important thing in your life, they will prejudice, they will create a prejudice within your thinking that prevent you from seeing truth. If your own personal needs are the ultimate thing, it creates a prejudice in your life, and that's how fighting happens. <clears throat> then we said that um, from chapter two, verse three, when Paul talks about conceit, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, and conceit, literally means that your life is empty of meaning. And so you use people, you use things you, to find meaning in your life. And Paul says this, life is not going to work well for you. So here's why then he talks about these two guys. The passage that we read this morning is about two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And here's why he talks about them. The reason why is we all need examples. We need human examples in our lives of what this actually looks like. So he mentions two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are two men who are living lives worthy of the gospel, who understand what it means to be a citizen of heaven. So from this passage, we'll make three or four observations about friendship, community, fellowship, whatever word you like. In fact, there is a book written by an English monk in the 12th century called Spiritual Friendship. And it's one of the very rare books from, written from a long time ago that talks about friendship. So if you like the word spiritual friendship better than fellowship, then use that word. But these words are all interchangeable and exchangeable. So number one is this, that friends are a sign of spiritual health. Remember this, that Jesus drew large crowds. He was a very popular person. But within that, he had 12 disciples. And within those 12 disciples, he had three. So there is a, a spectrum of friends. And here's what this passage is teaching us, is that every one of us needs not just lots of friends. We don't need like popularity kind of friends. We need a few close friends. The Apostle Paul was a visionary leader. He started churches. He was a leader in churches. But one of the things that you notice, and it can easily be overlooked, is that Paul had lots of friends. That he had people close to him in his life. <clears throat> I read um, an author this week, and he said this, that every person has a public life, a private life, and a secret life. And if that's you, 
you're going to have problems. If you have a secret life where there's not one friend of yours that you give access to that part of your life, you're heading down a wrong path. It's a matter of time before your life unravels because we are not made to live like that. If there is a part of your life that is secret, that you are unwilling to let a friend into, there will be an ache in your soul and things will go wrong. We all have a public life and we all have a personal life, our families, our wives, our children. That's understandable. <clears throat> but we learn from the Apostle Paul that friends are a sign of spiritual health, that we all need friends. We need people <clears throat> that we, are, we allow our emotions and our affections, we allow those things to become connected to people so that when someone's hurting, you can, you can reach out When people are struggling and hurting, friends are important. I read a kind of a funny example this week about the importance of friendship, and it was about this. Human beings do not walk around saying, I love air. Air is just so good right now. It's so good for my brain. It's great for my body. I love air. If you're to walk across the street after church, you probably won't do it today, but maybe in the summer, and you go for a little dip at Zuma Beach, and a wave holds you down, then your brain says, I love air, I need air, I want air. In the same way, if you only go to friends in moments of crisis, it's often too late. You're not meant to live like that. You're meant to live life with friends with people who know things about you, with people who can love you. So number one is this. Having friends is a sign of spiritual health. And I encourage you to allow friends into your life before there is a crisis because it's often too late. A friend cannot turn back time. It's a sign of spiritual health. It's a sign of spiritual wisdom that you allow people into your life. That's number one, and that's just from the broader context. Number two, friends genuinely care. Here's what Paul says, and this is interesting. He writes this, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. So we'll stop there just for a second. So Paul is saying this, that friends genuinely care about other friends or about people in their life. And th this is really interesting. I, I, I studied this a little bit this week when it, Paul writes this, that Timothy is this unique guy. And, and he actually writes, um, time for the glasses, for they all seek their own interest. They all seek, like, and, so this is, Paul is talking about the church in Rome. Philippi is about 800 miles away, and what Paul is saying is there's Timothy, there's one guy. How can there only be one guy? Here's what one commentator said about this. That at this time, a woman would not make a 800-mile journey by herself. It just wasn't safe. It was unwise. And most men who were of 
of age um, were working or taking care of their families and would not be able to leave their families for this length of time. And so this commentator said that most likely he's referring to young men, young single guys who don't have the responsibilities of a family, the responsibilities maybe of, a, of a employment. And he's saying this, that all of the young guys in this church in Rome they're only seeking after themselves. They're only preoccupied with themselves. And then as I thought about that, I said in my life, that could be true. Often, young men, teenagers, young men, are just, were very self-focused. And then I started thinking about the responsibility of a parent to raise young men to not be self-centered. So there's something unique, there's something special about this guy, Timothy, that he was unique, that he genuinely cared about others. The natural human instinct is to be self-focused. And so Paul says that there's something valuable about this guy. All right, so let's, let's just for a moment, let's focus on this word genuine. Paul writes um, many times um, about this word. Let me just share a couple things. In 2 Corinthians chap- chapter 8, he says this, let your love be genuine. Romans chapter 12 says, let your love be genuine. Hate what is wrong. Hold on to what is good. 1 Timothy chapter 1, love from a pure heart, a clear conscience, a sincere faith. So then I asked, is it possible to pretend to care? Do people do that? Do people pretend to care? Well, let's see what the Bible says. John chapter 12. Do we have this, Russell? All right, this is Jesus talking about Judas. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume is worth a year's wages. It should have been sold at the m- and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So think about this for a minute. Judas spends three years with Jesus, hanging out 24-7 with Jesus, and he pretends to care for the poor, and he actually loves money. Is that true today? Do people pretend to be friends, actually just use people? It happens all the time. Let me just tell you just a quick story because I I was thinking about this this week. I grew up in a small town and it was just, it it, it was a very simple life and um, there was a paper mill in my town that I grew up and the paper bags, in fact, when I first moved to California 20 years ago, the paper bags at the grocery store would have this little stamp on it that said, Port Towns in Washington. That's what people did in my town. They made paper bags. Well, when I was a kid growing up, most of my neighbors, and I thought about this, in fact, I think every neighbor all around me were World War II vets who worked at the paper mill. They'd go to work, you know, 7 to 3.30, come home and go salmon fishing. And that was their life for 40 years. One day I was out mowing the backyard, probably 13 years old, and I remember I turned off the mower to empty out the bag, and I heard this noise. It was, it was, it was an odd noise. And so I kind of ran out, and my next-door neighbor, his name was Ziggy. 
Ziggy was a World War II vet, and, and I see him, he's out in the front yard, and his son, who's probably in his 30s, was on top of him, on f- and it was physically assaulting him. It was a, it was a brutal thing to see. Um, it was maybe, like I said, I was 13 or 14. It's probably the first time in my life that I've ever, ever seen someone physically assault somebody, and it was horrible. And so, I guess like any normal 13-year-old boy, I, I started screaming, Dad, Dad. <laughs> and I ran to the house and just called off my dad, and my dad ran across the street, and he, and he jumps on the guy. While this is all happening, though, my next-door neighbor, the other neighbors, Arden and Vivian, Vivian comes out, she's... I thought she was really old back then, but she was probably like in her 60s. She comes out with her shotgun <laughs> and starts yelling at the son to get off Ziggy. That was their name. We were like a neighbor. We were friends. So my dad's on top of the guy. Another car comes. She's out there with her shotgun. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is awesome. <laughs> and then the police came and they arrested him. It was over. And, I, and I, I thought about my childhood and growing up in the neighbors. The very first day I was a little kid, we moved there from Cerritos, California. And the very first day, Vivian came over. I don't even think she knocked on the door. She just walked in our house, this old woman. And, um, and she just gave my mom a big filet of halibut that she had just caught and said, welcome to the neighborhood. And I think one of the most meaningful things about my childhood was I grew up in a town that was simple and genuine and, and good and, and, and beautiful and healthy. It wasn't perfect, but one of the things that I learned as I got older is the reality of life, is that there are, unfortunately, here's the reality of life. There are people in this world that will fake your, being your friend, that their love will not be genuine, that they will use people. And Judas is an example. And what Paul is saying here is this, let your love be genuine. Don't be that kind of person. If your marriage has gotten to the place where you're, you're kind of barely functioning and you're not friends, let your love be genuine. Work hard at being a friend. Forgive and move on and work towards healing. It is possible to not be genuine. And Paul says that that is not what the Christian life is to be about, that we are to care for one another. There are all kinds of ways we can care for one another. Let me just, um, Matthew chapter seven and Judas would have heard this sermon, but and this is, these are familiar words, the words of Jesus. When he talks about friendships and, and, and community, he said, do you remember Matthew chapter seven? He says, don't ignore the plank or the two by four in your own eye. Deal with that first and then help your friend get the speck out. So that means, if you just think about that for a second, you, can, you have to put yourself in a place of vulnerability if you're going to let somebody poke around in your eyeball, right? That's not comfortable. You have to like almost like force yourself to hold your eyeball open, to let them try to gently take something out. 
the message that Paul is giving to us this morning is that friends genuinely care for one another. That means there's a gentleness about you. That means there's a willingness to forgive. There's a humbleness. And then he gives more explanation when he uses the word concern. So so he says, genuinely be concerned for people. Genuinely care. And here's what's interesting about this word. If you have... If you have your Bible, you can turn one page, and this is a a, a familiar verse. This is um, chapter four, verse six. You've probably heard this verse before, and it says this. Do not be anxious about anything. And what's interesting is that is the exact same word that Paul uses in chapter two, where he says concern. So the word concern and anxious are exactly the same word in Greek. What makes them different here? One is a positive, one's a negative. And I won't go into this in much detail right now, but here is a simple way to understand this. In chapter two, verse 19, when he says genuinely concerned, that means that love is governing your life. When he says don't be anxious about anything, fear is governing your life. So Paul is saying this, that real friends genuinely care about one another, that their life is governed by love, that you are willing to invest, that you are emotionally invested, that the affections of your heart matter. Look what he says, chapter one, verse seven, what he says about his relationship to these people. He says this, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Paul uses descriptive words that that share with us the affections of his heart, that the people in Philippi were connected to his heart. So having friends is a sign of spiritual health, genuinely caring about people, not using people, not using them to advance your career, not using them to gain status of some kind but genuinely caring. Last comment about this. Here's what he says. This is so interesting. This is where it benefits to pay attention to what Paul says. Verse 20, I'll read it again. For I have no one like him who will genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. Isn't it interesting that he says not those of Christ? You would think he would say not those of other people. But here's what he's saying. If you are genuinely concerned about other people, if you are a genuine friend, you have put on the mind of Christ. You are living as the way Christ wants you to live. All right, next, number three. Friends have a common bond. And what was the common bond for Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus? It is this word in verse 22 where it says, but you know Timothy's proven worth how now as a son with a father he has served me with the gospel. The common bond between Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus was that they all viewed themselves as servants of the gospel. C.S. Lewis describes friendship this way. He says, it's the moment when you say to a friend, oh, you too? I thought it was only me when you find this connection with somebody, whatever it is, collecting stamps, right? Probably aren't too many stamp collectors here, but if you were to find that one, you'd be like, 
oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. And you begin a friendship. That's how life works. But here in this specific context, Paul is saying this, that the common bond is the gospel. This language, um, Peter uses it also. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. He says this, dress yourself with humility. And what he's saying there is this, is that you put on an apron in the same way a servant would. He's using language that doesn't make us all that comfortable. He's using words that are interchangeable between a slave and a servant. So what is Paul's point here? What is the common bond? The common bond is this, is that they have given up control of their life to Jesus Christ. And they say, where is life going to lead me if I give my life fully to Jesus Christ? I was reading this week about um, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a man that I'm sure many of you have heard of that died uh, many, many years ago in Ecuador. And he was a missionary there uh, many decades ago. And he went there with four other friends. And, and they, they had this bond of friendship where they said, where is life going to take me if I give my life fully to Christ? What's my life going to look like? And the question that I was asking myself this week, whether it's in Malibu, California, or Ecuador, it's not the issue. What does my life look like? If I have a friend in my life, and I say to my friend, let's fully surrender my, our lives to Christ and see where that leads. What is that, where will that take us? What adventure will that lead us to? And I think what happens, and I fall into this too, we fall into the American dream of checking our retirement account, of wanting to buy a house. And these are all things I have. I have a retirement account. So I'm not saying be unwise. But what I am saying is these things can capture us and we lose sight of what it means to be a Christian and what your life will look like, what adventures will come your way if you have a friend, and hopefully maybe it's even your spouse, but a friend or a spouse where you say to one another, what will our lives look like if we view ourselves, and the Greek word here is a doulos, douleo, servant of the Lord, where we have given up control. What an exciting way to view life. What, what an adventure. It takes away anything that's boring in life. What a, what a way to raise a family. What a, what a way to approach parenthood. If husband and wife say, our bond of friendship is allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to control our lives and allowing that to shape how we parent our children. The Apostle Paul took that view and he ended up in jail. but he changed the world for Jesus Christ. And we have to ask ourselves, what is, it, what is it that we truly want in this life? More material things? Another car? Another toy? 
Think about how little we can get by in life if you have a good friend and how important that is. Every church community has a culture about themselves. And I'm saying to you that I believe and I want and I'll work hard to create a culture in our church where we are genuine with one another, where we genuinely care, where we boldly stand against using each other for the advancement of our own good, but we boldly proclaim our love for Jesus Christ and we view ourselves as servants of the gospel. And whatever job you have and wherever you live, whether you live in Malibu for the rest of your life or you leave, your life will be shaped by the gospel. It will create meaning, it will create depth, it will create a sense of adventure and purpose in your life. If you don't have a friend that has that common bond, it begins with renewing your own personal commitment to Christ. Here's what happened to Epaphroditus. He says this, verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. What was it about his life that was so honorable? It's this, he risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service for me. His life was fully committed to others and he almost died in the process of doing it, in the process of this journey. But here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about some guy with a strange name as an example for us of what it means to be a friend. A young guy named Timothy, another guy named Epaphroditus, who is committed to being a genuine friend. Friendship begins, first and foremost, with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I invite you that if your life is lacking, that he is here with his hand extended as Luke writes in Luke chapter seven where he enjoys and he pursues flawed people. That's why he came to be a friend. If you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, but maybe you're feeling a little bit empty or a little bit lonely inside, pursuing Friendships is a sign of spiritual wisdom. Pursue somebody. Pursue somebody you admire. There are so many people in our church that I can help direct you to that would be a genuine friend that would love you in an authentic and real way. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we continue in worship that we would reflect on our own lives and evaluate how we are all doing individually in being a friend. Father, I pray that you would renew within us a desire to let our love be genuine, to forgive, to live with humility, to confess that we do let each other down, but we know that we are still loved because of what your son has done. Father, I pray that you would move our church forward in a healthy way where we can speak truth to one another in gentleness and love. Create within us a love for you and a love for one another. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.